This episode of Tales of True Crime contains adult language and graphic subject matter. Listener discretion is advised. For many who live in northern climates, there is nothing quite like the time of year when the temperature drops and the trees turn beautiful shades of yellow, orange, and red before shedding their leaves. The chilly autumn wind blows them into entrancing, colorful swirls at each street corner and in every gutter, and they blanket every lawn. Honestly, if you live in a southern climate where the fall color show doesn't come around every year, as I once did, I hope you make it a point to visit the north some fall and experience it for yourself. When I lived in the south, it was one of very few things I missed. Autumn. In my opinion, the best of four distinct seasons. It's a magical time. However, it's more than just the autumn colors that make fall an amazing time of year. We bundle up in cozy layers we wouldn't dare try in the sticky summer months. Students go back to school and rekindle relationships with friends unseen for months. And as September turns to October, we get hints of the holidays still to come. The shopping days till Christmas countdown enters double digits. Thanksgiving gatherings are in the planning stages. But before we get to any of that, we celebrate a different kind of holiday. Halloween. You'll get several explanations for the origins of Halloween, depending on whom you ask. Some will say Halloween has its roots in pagan and Celtic harvest festivals, particularly Samhain. Others will tell you it was co-opted by the church, which turned Celtic harvest festivals into a Christian holiday, All Hallows' Day, a time to remember the dead, saints, martyrs, and the departed faithful. Others will tell you Halloween originated with the Christian church and that it has no pagan or Celtic roots at all. Whatever explanation you choose to believe, the American tradition of Halloween has become a popular holiday. For some, yours truly included, it's a holiday to rival all others. One particularly popular Halloween tradition is the thrill we get of indulging our fear. Every year, millions exalt in the adrenaline rush of a haunted house attraction or a night of scary movies on the sofa. We grab a big bowl of popcorn, light some candles, turn out the lights, and dare the characters on the screen to frighten us. We enjoy it because, deep down inside, we know it's harmless. Our cold human logic reminds us frights like these are too over the top. The evils we encounter in real life are comparatively mundane. Ancient evil spirits don't inhabit the body of children's dolls bent on murder. Superhuman, unkillable psychopaths in hockey masks don't stalk summer camp counselors with machetes. A disembodied force... Death itself does not stalk us to make us pay for misdeeds done decades earlier. Does it? This is the Tales of True Crime podcast.
Fulton, New York is a small town of 12,000 people on the Oswego River, about 25 miles north of Syracuse, just minutes from the shore of Lake Ontario. It's one of those northern towns we've just discussed, where the fall colors dominate the landscape in October. On Halloween 1968, the mercury rose into the 40s, and Carol Lee Sadie Ashby was four years old. She had an ice cream cone in one hand and held her 15-year-old sister Darlene's hand with the other. They were on their way home from the drugstore, where they had gone to buy candles for Darlene's birthday cake, and were crossing a busy street hand in hand. It was just past sunset, and a car, later described as a 1962 Buick, sped through the intersection. Carol Lee, who was a step behind her older sister, was struck, ripped from Darlene's grasp. She was knocked out of her cowboy boots, and her ice cream cone fell to the pavement. Carol Lee was propelled 133 feet down the street. According to a story published later in the Elmira Star-Gazette, the car stopped briefly, then drove away. Little Carol Lee Ashby would not survive her injuries. A story ran the next day in the area newspapers under the headline, Car Kills Child, and read, Carol Ashby, a four-year-old daughter of George Ashby of Fulton, was killed Thursday when struck by an automobile on Route 57 in this community north of Syracuse. An investigation followed, and a few area residents were interviewed, but nobody was arrested. The car was not found. Days turned into weeks, months, years, and yes, decades. Law enforcement had no good news for Carol Lee's family. There was no justice to be found. In the course of writing this podcast, I thought about Darlene and how she must have felt all those years. The terrible memories she must have had. The guilt she likely endured, knowing she was holding her little sister's hand when it happened. The sorrow she felt likely overwhelmed her. Unable to take any comfort from the equally evident detail that she had been a footstep or two removed from her own death on that street in 1968. Carol Lee's father, George, would later say, Every Halloween, it's hard to say happy birthday to Darlene. 99 times out of 100, she starts crying. Though the hit-and-run case had gone ice-cold, little Carol Lee was not forgotten by investigators. They made attempts over the years to take another look, but every time, they came up empty. In 2000, police made an attempt to reopen the case and appealed to the public for more information. Fulton, New York Police Chief Mark Spawn said, Finding physical evidence or finding the car 32 years later is next to impossible. We're looking for an eyewitness or someone who may have heard someone talking about it. Perhaps someone is more comfortable talking about it now. We're hoping, maybe, the person who did it will have a change of heart. 
Police would say they had several tips come in, and despite a promise to investigate every nugget of information, they again came up empty. And still, they did not give up. Twelve years later, retired Fulton Lieutenant Russ Johnson still thought about Carolee Ashby and the person who had so carelessly taken her life and left her family to grieve without resolution. In the years since Fulton PD's last attempt to jar loose a break in the case, social media had become ubiquitous, and Lieutenant Johnson thought it just might allow him to reach someone with the information they needed to find the driver of the car that killed Carol Lee. The lieutenant made a post on a Facebook page dedicated to local history. You know the type. Pages with names like Growing Up In or Memories Of and Insert the Name of a Town. Local residents and those who've moved away reminisce, reunite, and share memories of the place where their formative years were spent. Lieutenant Johnson's post worked. A Florida woman who had been raised in Fulton realized she might have the piece of information for which police had been waiting more than 40 years. She contacted authorities and told them what she knew. In 1968, the woman, who has chosen to remain anonymous, had an acquaintance named Douglas Parkhurst. And shortly after the incident that took the life of Carolee Ashby, a member of Parkhurst's family asked the woman if she would vouch for Douglas. If anybody should come around asking, just say you were with him the entire night of Halloween. She was not sure exactly why she was being asked to say she had been with Douglas Parkhurst or what she was providing an alibi for. The woman refused to cooperate, but it wouldn't matter because nobody came around asking. When she told the story to law enforcement 44 years later, it became a crack in the wall, a trickle of truth through the dam of silence. Police realized Douglas Parkhurst was a man known to them. They had interviewed him in 1968 because he had owned a 1962 Buick like the one that had been seen leaving the crime scene. Investigators immediately started piecing together what they knew and endeavored to question Douglas Parkhurst once again. In 1968, Parkhurst told police he had been in a car accident on Halloween night. He claimed to have run into a guardrail, but not in Fulton, in the neighboring town of Volney. The damage to his car did not match his version of events. But inexplicably, he was not questioned again. Shortly after... Parkhurst's Buick disappeared, and he enlisted and was deployed to Vietnam, where he served two tours of duty. In 2012 and 2013, acting on the tip from the Florida woman, police were able to interview Douglas Parkhurst several more times, and the truth began to come out, but only after repeated assurances that he could not be arrested for what he had done. That's right. He could not be prosecuted for the death of Carol Lee Ashby because the statute of limitations had passed. Yes, he had been driving his Buick in Fulton that night, 
Parkhurst and his brother had been drinking. Douglas was driving, intoxicated, and his brother had passed out in the back seat. Parkhurst gave the police a written statement in which he claimed he heard a thud and thought he had hit an animal. He wrote, I don't know where I hit that thing. I don't remember when I hit that thing. But I know I told the police I had got into an accident at about 6.45 p.m. that night. That thing was Carol Lee Ashby, a four-year-old girl. And to hear the man who killed her describe her as a thing is enough to make your blood boil. Parkhurst claimed he did not see what he hit, and he did not remember stopping after the accident. Maybe some of that is true, and maybe some of it is convenient, selective memory. People guilty of crimes like Parkhurst's frequently point the finger in other directions, make excuses and cast blame elsewhere, obfuscate with memory lapses, anything to avoid admitting the truth that only a monster could hit and kill a beautiful four-year-old little girl, then drive away and leave her family to suffer a lifetime of misery. I didn't know. I don't remember. After his confession, police located Parkhurst's old Buick, abandoned on a family member's property. It had been concealed beneath brush, How did it get there? Parkhurst claimed he couldn't remember. Douglas Parkhurst's confession was complete. He told police he was 99.9% sure he had killed the little Ashby girl. And true to their word, the police did not charge him in her death due to the statute of limitations. But Parkhurst's name was now public and his deeds known. It wasn't long before the man who had spent nearly his entire life living in Oswego County pulled up stakes and moved to Maine. You might be saying to yourself, that can't be the end of the story. What about justice for Carol Lee? What about punishment for Douglas Parkhurst? And what about punishment for Douglas Parkhurst? What punishment would be appropriate for him? There are those who would say a sentence of 10 to 15 years for manslaughter, the most likely sentence, would be insufficient for a crime like Parkhurst's. And surely others would argue for the strongest penalty possible, life without parole, even the death penalty. But the truth is those penalties are reserved for the most egregious offenders, for crimes with premeditation and special circumstances, not realistic expectations for a hit-and-run homicide. For a person like Douglas Parkhurst, what is the price of redemption for the death of an innocent four-year-old little girl? Five years later, in 2018, at Goodall Park in Sanford, Maine, a Little League game was underway when a maroon sedan approached a gate and a woman in the driver's seat yelled, Open the gates! A moment later, she smashed her car through the gate and recklessly raced her car around the baseball field 
as young ball players scrambled into the stands for safety. After racing past home plate, the woman, later identified as Carol Shero, took aim for a gate on the other side of the field. According to a story in the Newport News Daily Press, as Shero attempted to make her escape, a man walking with a group of kids pushed them out of the path of the oncoming car and attempted to close the gate. Eyewitness Justin Clifton told a main TV station, The older guy pushed the kids right out of the way. He took the hit for the kids. The man was Douglas Parkhurst, and his grandson was playing ball that day. He shoved the kids out of harm's way, but he was run down as Carol Sherrill fled the scene, and he died in the ambulance on the way to the hospital. Carol Sherrill was taken into custody later that day, and the local press in Maine reported she had a history of drunken driving offenses. But there was no apparent motive for what she did that day. As for Douglas Parkhurst, his full backstory was not immediately known in the first hours after the event. He was simply seen as a local hero who saved the lives of some kids. When it became clear that the now-deceased Parkhurst had confessed in 2013 to the hit-and-run of a girl in 1968 and never faced justice, the story percolated up into the global consciousness, and people began asking questions and sharing their opinions. What goes around comes around was a common refrain, and you can understand the sentiment. There are those who see it as justice long delayed for Carol Lee Ashby, who would today be 55 years old, but had her life cut short 51 years of that mark. Some would like to believe that a disembodied force, death itself, stalked Douglas Parkhurst until it seized the perfect moment to make him pay for what he had done. Still others say his last act was a selfless moment of sacrifice that redeemed Douglas Parkhurst. I count myself among their ranks. In my mind, what Douglas Parkhurst did on that June day in 2018 was the price of redemption. And perhaps that's easy for me to say because Carol Lee Ashby was not my flesh and blood. For those hardliners who would have demanded that he pay with his life, he did. For those who would demand he do something to atone for the death of Carol Lee, an act that could not be undone. He did that too, in saving the lives of a group of kids in danger of suffering the same fate. He became a hero and paid his penitence with his life. Did Douglas Parkhurst have time to have these thoughts in his final moments? Certainly not before the car struck him. It was likely a reflexive, instinctive act. What about in the moments after, as his life faded away? We can't know for sure. In the end, we can only hope for healing. Carol Lee's older sister Darlene, who had been holding her hand when she was struck by Parkhurst's car in 1968, 
was asked for comment when informed of his death. She told a reporter that Parkhurst had never taken the opportunity to apologize to her family after his confession. And his death, quote, made a complete circle. I know my mom would have been grateful that children were saved, she said. Sometime I may be able to forgive him. But not right now. Tales of True Crime is written and produced by Troy Larson for Midwest Radio of Fargo-Moorhead. Follow Troy on Twitter at TrueCrimeTroy. This house, Supernatural, Long Note 2, Darkest Child, Face Off, and Colorless Aura by Kevin McLeod in Competech.com. Creative Commons license via filmmusic.io. Thanks for listening.